Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week to cover Theon's second chapter is a new guest, Dr. Thomas Leake. Dr. Leake is a professor of German at the University of Wisconsin, teaches German history and literature. And if you want to read something very interesting that he wrote, uh, do a search for The Narrative Logic of the Severed Hand. Really fascinating stuff. Anyway, this chapter that we're covering today is The Introduction to Asha, and of course, Theon's um, missteps, shall we say, and reintroducing himself to his own sister. Hey, just a word of promotion here. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably have guessed that I'm a huge Tolkien fan. And uh, you might remember that the Lorehounds are doing a chapter-by-chapter reread of the Silmarillion. Well, in the next couple of weeks, I'll be joining them to talk about the chapter of Fionor and the Unchaining of Melkor. And I'm excited about it. So if you like the chapter-by-chapter stuff we're doing here, maybe check out the Lorehounds. Okay. As always, if you'd like to send feedback, book at baldmove.com. Without further ado... Here is Dr. Thomas Leake. Tom, do you view Theon as a tragic character who never had a chance or a character who sort of brings misery upon himself? That is an interesting question. I think, yes, I'd say a tragic character. And, you know, I I, I think of him as rather Oedipal, not in the sense that he is, you know, uh, not in the, not in the sense that we typically think of it, but in the sense that, you know, his, he's ignorant and he does not know what he does not know. And it's a little more, you know, less straightforward than with, you know, the myth of Oedipus, mm-hmm. but he, he's ignorant. He's not, I don't, I don't see him as, you know, culturally speaking, deficient in, in any terms of you know, like weakness the way that uh, you know the iron islanders the iron men you know or anyone else in westeros would look at a, a fellow like this and say yeah this guy might eventually be a great leader right and just the cards you know he got a different set of cards <laughs> a very bad set See, of cards i feel like that's interesting cuz I, I i totally get that in this chapter and i almost feel sorry for him in this chapter yeah but i it's hard for me to not think of him as someone who's sort of a foolish foolish man who brings who makes foolish decisions and brings misery upon himself. But after reading this chapter I thought, you know, maybe I'm reading him wrong. Yeah, you know, well, maybe he maybe he just never had a chance. I mean, what's what's the difference between foolishness and bravery? You know, that's it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's whether it's whether things go well for you or not. Exactly. It's yeah, it's uh, the proof is in the the pudding or the <laughs> you know the it's the results that really matter here. Uh-huh. So I mean, he was brave. You know, he was certainly not you know cowardly per se, um, uh-huh. but he just was in over his head and lacked the wisdom and foresight so yeah mm-hmm. you could say that he brought it a lot of a lot of his his troubles upon himself um but i just don't see him as particularly well, the thing about jamie right he undergoes some similar things yeah um and he's neither of them are acting in way well okay the kingslayer that's you know not that's that's a good way to get a bad nickname but um neither of them are acting in ways that are especially outside the norms of the well, culture, right? Right. I think that what I what this chapter kind of impressed upon me more than anything was that who in Theon's life took him aside and said, "Here, I can see you're struggling. Let me help you understand what's happening." Or right. you know, let me guide you in a way. Like here he is back on the Iron Islands and his father has belittled him. His uncle has basically told him, you, you're not a shoo-in for anything. Your sister's still living. And then he you know, he meets his sister. His sister plays a nasty trick on him. And it's not like he's not without fault. Um, he's, he's done a couple of horrible things to a few people so far in this story. Mm-hmm. But who is there to help this kid? He's he's clearly a fish out of water. 
I, I couldn't help feel sorry for him a bit in this chapter. Yeah, I think that's right. And if he, I mean, it doesn't sound like his father is going to win any, you know, father of the year awards. But, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not many, uh, you know, maybe apart from Eddard Stark, not many fathers in this world do, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, that's, that's his big problem. He's been a hostage, right? He's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. And he he's... Um, you know, and uh, you know, this is a common practice in the ancient and medieval worlds. Any place, mm-hmm. anytime you have clan-based politics, you're going to have a situation in which exchanges of families, family members, is, is going to happen. Whether it's fosterage, which is you know a mm-hmm. relatively generally uh, you know neutral or friendly practice, and hostage taking, which is not necessarily. I mean, I guess there is you know a, a certain hostile element to it but it's it's a diplomatic practice mm-hmm. that is you know relatively neutral in many cases not always but it's not you know in, in our in our modern context in the same way that fostering right is now it's something you do for troubled children or some or children from problematic family backgrounds or you know who are mm-hmm. having trouble right it's Whereas in, in in the ancient and medieval worlds, fosterage. Well, let's see. That was it was mainly like what Scotland and Iceland, who were really had the strong cultures of fosterage in later years. Hmm. Um, and you know, again, this is a, this is a practice where you you send your son out to to you know uh, in uh, basically a legal arrangement with another family, and you know, so they go out and see the world. It's like doing an exchange year almost, right? Hmm. <laughs> Except with uh, someone you. You know, you have some sort of political alliance with. Um, I've got questions about that. I've I've actually been thinking about that topic quite a bit. Um, let me read my synopsis of this chapter, and oh, we sure. can sort of jump jump into some of the particulars here. Mm-hmm. After Theon admires his newly built longship, he makes fast advances on a woman he's only just met. The woman claims to be Eskred the shipwright's daughter. Although she claims to be married, she flirts with Theon and agrees to feast with him at Pike. After riding and groping his way back to his father's castle, the woman is revealed to be Asha, his older sister. Later at the feast, Asha mocks him unrelentingly. His father then plots for war and orders Theon to act as a decoy. Shamed and drunk, Theon leaves the war council. When he stumbles along the way, Asha helps him to his room. So, Thomas Leake, what shall we talk about? What sort of stuck out to you in this chapter? Well, you know, as I think what for me is most interesting is his status as a hostage that, you know, he has not been accepted yet back into his family. And, you know, as we were talking about, right, what could he have done differently? Uh, you know, he needed a mentor or something. And you just get the sense that if he just kind of kept his head down, and this is the sense in which he kind of brought his problems on himself, he just kind of kept his head down, put his ego in check, and, and, you know, gone, you know, gone with the plan, worked with things, put in his, paid his dues, put in his time, Mm -hmm. things would have worked out well for him. He might not have become the king but uh you know he might not have uh, ended up in his sorry later state yeah yeah <laughs> so. well i think all right so i think he's in this impossible position because his father's basically a, a he sort of rules a conquered island right yeah and in order to sort of ensure his good behavior he's had to give up his remaining son but then of course that's kind of held against Theon. It's, yeah. It's sort of like, you've been with the wolves too long. You're probably a wolf now. We can't trust you. I think he said, you know, sort of misplayed his hand when he says that, you know, in the previous chapter, he says, you know, Rob thinks of me as a brother. Right. And I think this really almost wounds Lord Greyjoy. You know, you you're, don't you dare call him brother your real brothers were killed by that guy's father so but he so theon's basically being blamed for something he had no say in in the first place and now as you say he sort of has the he's sort of like a third culture kid oh that's a good phrase i like yes third culture kid that is a very good point that he's 
Yeah, except that he's the only one. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a culture of one. Now, you you mentioned you had uh, done a you you had done an exchange in Germany at one point in high school. Is oh right? yeah, in high school yeah. It right. Was in nineteen ninety three ninety four, I went over to Eastern Germany for about a year and spent spent my time there. It was an interesting time. It was right. shortly after the wall fell. Right. So okay. So let's imagine young Tom, uh, American born goes and spends some time in Germany and as you're in Germany you are a foreigner right you you're you're the american you're trying you spend your entire time in Germany sort of as a novice learning german culture is that, that is, would that be safe to say that would be safe to say yes okay and then and so how, how long did you spend there year okay one year so one year and all of a sudden you come back to america and among your friends, now you're the expert on German culture, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I right? guess so. So, so you were you spent your entire year in Germany as a novice. Yeah. And then you came back to America, and now you're the expert. And so th- here, Theon is he sort of the representative of of Stark culture. He spent his entire you know, he spent more than a year. Right? He's his younger his years, entire, yeah, his youth, entire childhood, basically being a foreigner in a foreign land, and now he's now he's sort of the de facto representative of not just sort of wolf culture, but like mainland culture or the the culture of our enemies, and it it's an odd that that's sort of what I mean by third culture. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, expats usually have this problem. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. So you kind of get the sense that when you realize, like, oh, I think I'm going home, and you realize, oh, I can never go home. My home is nowhere at this point. Yeah. And, you know, there's, of course, advantages to that, to being the expert. You know, if you think back to hostages, you know, you know, figures from the ancient world who spent time as hostages, as Theon did, I'm, you know, I'm thinking primarily of Aetius, right, the, the Roman general. Mm, spent tell time. me more about that. I, I don't know about that. Uh, well, he was you know, Attila, actually. Uh, the, it was a, a hostage uh, for a time at the court of Honorius, one of the you know the later Western Roman emperors. And you know, Aetius, it was an exchange he sent to, I think, first the Visigoths with Alaric, mm. and then with um, uh, Attila, uh, or sorry, with the Huns, not necessarily with Attila. 
Uh, I don't quite recall that actually, but I think Attila was, you know, about the same age, so he would have still been a hostage too. But he was with the Huns anyway, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it was said that, or I think it's, you know, very little doubt that his later success as a general can be, you know, attributed at least in 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 part to his experience with among the among the quote unquote barbarians. So, um, and you know, we see here Theon also has some advantages, right? He can ride a horse yeah uh, he knows well. yeah he knows sort of the equine arts better than anyone on the iron but of course that doesn't necessarily win him many friends you know? and it, 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 yeah and if yeah that, and that's that's sort of maybe one of the big differences between you know modern culture and and the, the you know this situation here perhaps in that i don't think in the u.s uh, well, it's 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 different. There, I think it's it gets a little complicated. But nobody, I, when I came back from Germany, or you know, I spent later, I studied there for a couple of years. Nobody thought of me as like less of an American, right? The way they think of sort of Theon as less sure. of an Ironman, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think that there is something to be said for can we tr- we don't know you? Can we trust you? And and of course, Theon has the additional problem with. We don't know you. There's no way you're going to rule, you know. Right. Until we're not going to we're not going to allow right? a stranger to rule us. Right. And that's why, you know, if he'd had some wisdom, he would have put it, you know, paid his dues, kept his head down, done what he was told, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe later, but yeah, the guy was uh you know, in this sense, yeah, young and dumb. <laughs> right? And <laughs> yes, and full of whatever, right? Yes, exactly. So he uh this guy he can't kind of get out of his own way. Um, and I, I have a, I have a friend named, uh, JJ who loves stories. And I was just emailing him the other day and he's, he's like, I love stories. Uh, hello, JJ talking about you. Um, I love stories where people can't get out of their own way. They, whatever room that they go in, it's going to be them in their room, and they're not going to change. They're going to be in situations where they meet themselves over and over and over again, and this is sort of going to create a problem for them. And I, I kind of get the sense with Theon that he has this opinion of himself that's not quite in line with reality. Every now and again, you'll find... like here, Here's a little detail in this chapter that I, I thought was interesting. So... We've got this mention of Euron and his ship Silence. One thing about Euron is that he only has crewmen that have their tongues cut out, right? Oh, that's right, yeah. And that's why the ship is called Silence or whatever. I don't know why the ship is called Silence, but for whatever reason, he's deci- Euron's decided that's going to be my badass move as a captain is that everyone who sails with me is not going to be able to talk back to me or tell anyone about where we've gone or what we've done. And I don't know that this is the case, but Theon has kind of decided to take a page out of that book. He His squire is named Wex, uh, not in the show, only in the books, and Wex has his tongue cut out. And I, I don't know that he's decided to sort of emulate Euron, because he thinks that's sort of a badass move or whatever, but it is absolutely the case that it would have been helpful to him if if Wex could talk. <laughs> <You know>. if, <laughs> if, yeah, that's if yeah. he had if he had like decided I'm going to choose a squire that might be also my cultural guide here. Yeah, then his squire would have said, "Hey, dude, that's your sister. Stop groping her." You know that that I mean. But because he views himself as this alpha male like Euron, he's going to choose a squire that will never talk back to him or and also never give him key information that might be helpful to him. Yeah, I think it's all fair, you know, very good points there in that uh, he's working against himself in the in his he, emulation. He's absolutely working against and he, and he's doing it because of some kind of hyper Hyper masculinity, you know. This is this is I, I'm I'm the next king. I'm going to start acting like it right away, and and like you said, not paying his dues. Right. <laughs> so Asha introduces her, herself as this woman named Esgrid. Right. And is not shy about flirting with 
you know, he if he starts it, I, I think, of course. Yes. But she does not discourage it. Um, not at all. She decides this is going to be a great uh, prank I'm going to play on my brother or something like this. To toy with him, to torture him. Um, you almost get a sense that she's getting a, a bit of sadistic pleasure out of this. I don't think it's yeah yeah that's that's correct. I don't I think it goes beyond a prank in that she immediately establishes a sort of uh, dominance over him that uh, as to when he finds out right that uh, right that you know he this might be a clue to him that oh I need to take a step back there are some things I don't know right like who my sister is or what she looks like. Um, and, uh, uh, but yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, it is that and more in that it, uh, it, it establishes, it humiliates him, right? He, he loses honor in a, in a pretty, uh, and again, what we're seeing here, I think is the foreshadowing of what eventually happens to, uh, to Theon. Oh yeah. She him. emasculates him. He emasculates him. Yeah. Right. She emasculates him and he's emasculated just, you know, at the war council, and uh, you know he doesn't doesn't know how to handle this situation, right? Yeah, yeah. And and she also let's see if I if I recall, she gets some information out of him. Right? Well, she gets to hear yeah. what he thinks about everyone. That's like, right. He, yes. You know, Euron is not a threat. Victorian's old and slow. Yeah. Um, Asha is, you know, sort of gender bedding but she'll never sort of be accepted because right. i'm the man of the family and my 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 father is not a great man he's only yeah. the father of a great man you know he's sort of he's bragging in a way that he thinks is going to impress this common wench right, right. so he can bet her later in reality she's sort of drawing out the very very worst of his ego yeah, and using that as you know, it not exactly. I mean, it potentially, well, using it against him. Yeah, that's blackmail. Yeah. I mean, yes, t- potentially blackmailing him, uh, and knowing him knowing that she knows that. Yeah, that's right. right? And 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 throwing his words back at him later. You yeah. Know? Um, that that's interesting to me. That that it, it's all it's all very uh, a political play, right? You know, because. I do think that there are those among the Ironborn who view Asha as a potential successor to the throne. Right. Not everyone, but at least, you know, uh, his uncle Aaron uh, views her as a, a legitimate successor, if if that's what comes about. And so here she is, maybe a little bit threatened by his return. Right. And, and I think she decides... Well, I'm not going to let him have the upper hand. I'm I'm absolutely going to take the upper hand here. Exactly. And Theon, coming from coming from the continent, might not. I mean, he his ideas about the role of women are, are informed by his experience at Winterfell, and you know, sort of more more chivalric kind of culture on the continent than than among these uh, right. you know, Ironborn. So he might not understand that the uncles would be open to his sister taking over. Right. Yeah, he does not really view her as a threat, but he absolutely does by the end of this chapter. (laughs) Of course, yeah. (laughs) Now, I will say this, though. I did not quite remember that the way this chapter ends is almost... You know, it, this this chapter ends with sort of him drunk and stumbling, and she's helping him back to his room. Exactly. And, you know, he basically says, I liked you better when you were S-Red, and she said, I liked you better when you were nine. It's almost a, a statement of mutual dislike that the subtext is there is like, we have an understanding now. I, I th- there's, a, there's a tiny little bit of, I guess, a tiny little gesture of care. Yes. At the end of this chapter that you didn't have at the beginning of this chapter. Yeah, you get a glimpse that there is the possibility of a more constructive relationship between the two. Mm. And, yeah, right. But it, but that depends on Eskrit, uh, not Eskrit, Asher uh, helping him. That's right. Right. That's right. While she, he yeah, she, 
she is caring for him in the way that you would hope an an older sister would care for him. Right. Um not- notably in private because yeah. Because the public show was was absolutely to take him down a notch. Yeah, more than one, maybe. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Curious to me that um, he's almost kind of learned the lesson from the previous chapter. Like, I'm not going to dress in silks. I'm not going to wear a chain that I got by you know by purchase. Uh, I'm going to dress a little bit more modestly, and but he kind of laments that he can't dress with finery. Yes, and that he doesn't have the the finery, you know, the iron price finery. Yeah, which is, of course, the way you're supposed to do it is 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 you know pillage your way to to your finery, not just you know yeah trade your way there. He's got these gold chains or whatever, but he knows he can't wear anything because he's not been pillaging, basically. Yeah, yeah. He even says I've, my my misfortune is something like what I've I've only killed poor people. <laughs> <laughs> Let me read this little uh, this little section here. Theon chose plain boots and plainer clothes, somber shades of black and gray to fit his mood. No ornament; he had nothing bought with iron. I might have taken something off that wildling I killed to save Bran Stark, but he had nothing worth taking. That's my cursed luck. I kill the poor. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, he's, yeah. He's the so smart move, right? <laughs> so yeah, but it. it kind of gives you the sense like in that moment he's working with Winterfell morality basically yes Winterfell morality is Bran Stark is the son of Ned Stark I must protect him at all costs and I'm going to do this thing kill this wildling and that's the moral thing to do in that in that moment right that's, yes from his father's point of view this is the exact wrong thing to do like why are you helping Ned Stark's son, number one? Number two, why would you kill anyone that can't be pillaged? Yes, it's, you know, it's, let's say pirate culture versus at least some semi-state culture where, right. you know, the, the Starks have a job to do that is, that is, is, is with some, some obligations that are, mm-hmm. Um, you know, go beyond their their station and their, their and their their interests. Whereas, yeah, the Iron Islanders, they're they're pirates. <laughs> you know, why would yeah, you? Yeah, I think from that point of view, Theon may have Theon's Ironborn culture may have more in common than the Wildlings. Yes. Um, and yet here he is, a creature of Ned under Ned Stark's care. Yes. And this sort of brings me to the question of hostages um, again, because now correct me if I'm wrong. The practice of hostage taking, as with the practice of fostering, was to kind of is kind of to enculturate a feeling, a sort of a a familial bond. Yes. E- either to like, okay, so we want you to grow up friends with our sons, and so maybe our, the future of our families will will have a more positive outlook. But here we have a situation where it actually is, is a problem because now Theon's put in this impossible position where he either has to betray his father or betray his best friend. Well, and that's the difference between fosterage and hostage-taking, uh, in that you know, fosterage is... I would say basically pro-social in its purpose. It is, as you say, designed to build alliances, let you know, you know, uh, or strengthen alliances that probably mm. already exist, or or relationships that already exist, and to you know um, continue those or further those relationships into the future. Hostage taking might incidentally result in that, but it's it's really it is what it is, right? The assurance of good behavior. And there, there is that aspect of, let's call it cultural exchange. Um, but it really does work in that regard. It might work against the interests of one or both sides in that mm-hmm. uh, it did not do the Huns any favors to have ETS know their military tactics so well. Right. right? <laughs> well, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say that. If if this is a practice that is supposed to keep the peace, 
Does it actually serve that purpose? <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, this gets at the, the kind of inherent instability of clan-based politics or family-based politics is, no, I don't think it does. Uh, it does serve that purpose very well, but it's what they had. It was, you know, one tool that uh, worked when it worked and uh, and when it didn't, you know, well, that's that's what the swords are for. Right. right. So, uh, huh. yeah, it's no, it's by no means a perfect practice or anything that really uh, and nothing is perfect. Right. But uh, I mean, I suppose you could say that if Rob had kept Theon around like Kat wanted. Yeah. Then you you would at least still have leverage over Balon Greyjoy. Right. But. Of course, it, it it is because Theon has become best friends with Rob that the problem sort of began. You know, it's sort of sort of yeah. like Rob, Rob started to trust Theon, and of course, you, you know, you think you can trust the man, but that of course, the man is not just himself. The man is a representative of his clan. And so the these old old grievances are going to be maybe are embedded so deeply that the mere friendship is not going to overcome them. No, of course not. I mean, well, at least in very rare circumstances, and it would be very shameful for Theon to choose friendship over family. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, friendship is a thing, but it's nowhere near a blood tie. Right. right. And you, you see that today, right? With, um, you know, sort of uh, the way, you know, found family, right? It can be a very great thing, but it's also, you know, a little less stable sometimes than, than you, you would hope with compared to, compared to say, you know, blood ties even today. Oh, yeah. No. Well, I mean, found family exists for as long as you want it to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas and, your parents are going to be your parents. Even even if you never speak to them again. <laughs> even if right? they're estranged, that's yeah. what they are. They're your parents, right? So Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Theon he's kind of in this situation where you kind of judge him for betraying Rob, for taking Winterfell. You know, all there's all these ways yeah. that he's worthy of our disdain. Right. But what options does he have? I, I'm not I'm not sure that I'm not sure that any choice he makes can be the right choice at this point. Well, not not from our perspective. I think from the point of view of an Ironman or Ironborn, mm-hmm. he has there's there is a there is a right choice. You do what your father tells you to do. You play for your team, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that it's unfortunate that you might have to uh, you know uh, go up against your friend in battle. But you know that's what epics are for, right? You you tell the great story of the two friends who ended up on opposing sides. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's what the literature, the poetry is for. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and th- I think this gets interesting. What was when when Theon later takes Winterfell? He seems to I don't want to say relish it, but he does want to kind of show off for his friends, right? It is kind of you, right? It's, well, it's 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 kind of like rewriting your story by yeah. It's, I don't know if if it's possible to sort of draw a modern analogy, but you know if you've ever sort of gone back to your high school as an adult, you know it's sort of yeah. like I, I'm ab- I'm kind of above this place now. I didn't think that it'd be possible way back then, but that's an interesting analogy. Yeah, but he does. He goes back to Winterfell, where you know was his home, but he was always ever a second class citizen there, and to become. You know, a very briefly, um, the Lord of Winterfell is sort of him climbing atop the the heap to crow a bit, right? Right. Yeah. Now I get to be the star quarterback for. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's an interesting analogy. I, I like that about going back <laughs> to your old high school. Yeah. I noticed that there are a few hints that Ironborn culture is different. You mentioned the first, the one with the, the you know the horse, like he. Yeah. He he sees the value in in a horse that has not quite been broken. Yeah. You know, so he can choose like a monster of a horse because this is going to be the kind of horse you want in battle. Um but also there's the, these other bits like um like they've got their 
got something called the finger dance, sort of like this. this <laughs> yeah, y- these guys dancing around the the feast hall, throwing axes to each other, and you know you can just imagine this takes uh, a lot of skill, but often it ends with someone losing a hand, right? So, yeah. Uh, so you get that little detail, but also serving the sort of the lords and ladies are thralls. So you get the sense that iron islands have a different view of slavery than let's say Ned Stark does. Yes. Um, so clearly even though they're sort of def- sort of like on paper, part of Westeros, they've got a different view of slavery and you almost get the sense that, there are certain things about this culture that are almost defiantly different from the sort of the the colonizing culture, I suppose. Well, yeah, and that gets into some of the religious differences as well. I think what is it with to to appease the drowned god? You like slit the throats of the thr- some thralls and throw them in the ocean or something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. which is uh, a little much for Westeros for my, <laughs> by most accounts, or for the the worship of the seven. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like whenever you hear about like the old gods and the new, I don't think that, that they mean, Oh, uh, also the drowned God, (laughs) you know? Right. They're mostly thinking of the Northern gods. Yeah. 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 It's almost like the drowned God is an odd, unrecognized religion of, of this weird little Island that, that we've conquered. Right. Yes. So you do get the sense with the ironborn that they are alien to Westeros um and it's it's only a matter of time before this is going to become a problem they are similar as you, as you would you say similar to more similar to the wildlings than even to mm. the the, uh, the the stark family even though the stark family you know still worships the old gods i i i can't think of a great analogy for this situation but the you know the starks they are the they're the civilized old heads right? <laughs> they they, right. they they they've been incorporated into the system mm-hmm. even if they retain a few of the ancient practices it's unclear how seriously they mm-hmm. well they're they... they're celtic they're yeah. they're, they're yeah, celtic that's a good way. At, yes they're celtic after the sort of the advance of christianity yeah you know so now they're, they're there's something of a hybrid between these cultures and religions but i almost get the sense with the iron well they even say they even say we do not descend from the first men yeah we descend from the uh, from beneath the sea or something like that yeah so their whole have... mythology is different yes yes they um oh the words escaping my mind uh when you're born from the earth as it were but in this case from the sea that is your autochthonic i think is the word oh i didn't know that this is a new yeah, one but me. that's not that's not quite the right uh that's not that doesn't quite apply here right okay. well like the the people of athens believed that you know they, we've just always been here oh right? that's <laughs> you a know? great analogy we didn't we didn't come i mean some cultures have this right. you know myth we came here from wherever right, right. um Whereas, uh, you know, and, and, or like the Romans, right? The Romans had had this myth: we are Trojan, right? Right. Whereas other city states was no, oh, we've just always been here, and th- that that serves a function, you know, for the Romans. Uh, you know, we think of Rome as ancient, but in the ancient world, it was new, uh, you know, compared to a lot of other city states, and. So you want to, you know, establish your connection to something a little more ancient. So you say, well, actually, you know, we're not, okay, we're Romans, yes, but really we're Trojans. So we have a foot in the, in the more ancient world. And whereas, I don't know, the Athenians, if I'm remembering this correctly, this, no, I mean, they've, that, that city, Athens is a very ancient city, well, you know, one of the oldest in Europe. So they, they didn't need to come up with some myth like that. They just huh. have always been here. Yeah. And in the same thing with the with uh, well maybe not the same thing but a similar situation here right the the uh, the Iron Islanders have no they don't need to tell you know some story about how they came from elsewhere their entire livelihood their entire culture is in some way connected to the sea yes for a while I lived on a, an island and the weather was nothing like you know anything that you'd find in northern England or Scotland or norway or anything like that but if you live by the sea the entire 
mood of the day, the the entire culture of you know every everything, all the people that you interact with can change in a second if the sea decides it's going to shift. Interesting. If the if the sea is angry, boy, that changes the mood of everything. So island life is so connected is is connected to the weather in unlike any other kind of culture I've experienced. You almost have like um it it almost does feel godlike. It's like you know, God is among us, his name is Ocean. And if again if he gets angry, boy oh boy, that's gonna change the entire mood of the day. I, I do feel like there's something about the Iron Islands that their moods constantly stormy. You know, every, and everyone sort of like is in survival mode. Drowning is sort of present to mind. Their yeah. entire re- religion involve, you know, sort of revolves around sea life and boat life and it's just a whole different view of the world because everything around you, the surface around you is unstable. And yeah. And I and I do get the sense that that you know here Theon is he's not at home here he he's you know sort of for all of Ned Stark's problems he was something of a stable presence you know Winterfell was something of a a rock of Gibraltar you know it's like it's there it's going to be there it's always been there it's always going to be there everything's stable at Winterfell uh not doesn't get don't get the same feeling on the Iron Islands Interesting. You know, I've never, li- I can't really speak to that because I've never lived on an island. I've always been, uh, you know, pretty much from farm country. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's, I, I, I agree. I think that's right. Winterfell is presented as sort of this, uh, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, immovable. Yeah, sort of a place. bastion of stability. Yeah. You know, there right. must always be a Stark at Winterfell or whatever. Yes, that's right. And uh, the world in, of, you know this whole not the world of Westeros that whole world is subject to more you know weather instability it's kind of one of the you know the peculiarities of the the whole idea that they have these long winters that they they never really know how long it's going to last mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's right and, yeah but you know it's uh, so that is uh you know but yeah winterfell you know Go, you know, survives all that, right? It's been there for, for you know, how, however long, right? Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it's it's always going to be there. Always be a Stark at Winterfell, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, that instability is different on the Iron Island. I wonder how the how the long winters work there. Yeah, it's it's interesting <laughs> to me. It's uh, this sort of an ancient culture where you're always at war with nature in a way yeah. that that. Uh, Reaches into the ancient world, I suppose. With the whole, you know, the long winters and this sort of, it gets a little cartoonish, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the sort of how, how, just how bad it gets. But uh, yes, yes. Anyway, that's all I was going to say about that. Ice spiders as big as hounds. Yes. Um, so notable introductions in this chapter. We meet Theon's longship for the first time, which gets named Sea Bitch. Great name. Uh, named after uh, Asha when he thinks that, that it's Esgrid. Um, we hear of Otter Gimpney. Um, we meet Theon's horse, uh, Smiler. Yeah. And there's a there's a mention here that uh, I, he, he says something like, I once knew a man that told me that I smiled at all the wrong things. And I think that that's a reference to Jon Snow. And I think that that's, really? uh, yeah, I think that there's a little detail in in uh, the first, the very first chapter after the prologue, Jon Snow sort of is critiquing the, what, the him smiling at the beheading or something like that. Right, right, okay. Um, we hear of uh, we of course meet Asha for the first time, and of course we hear about her ship, Black Wind. Um, and then of course. Show differences. There is no Wex, uh, so we um, that he is a, a book only character, and I didn't note any notable departures in this chapter, um, aside no, from maybe a few people that lose their fingers during the finger finger dance. <laughs> yeah, say goodbye to your <laughs> limbs, kind of. Yeah, 
<laughs> I wonder if they I wonder if they keep those in jars or something after you. <laughs> you wear them around your neck like uh, yeah, Sir something like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was there anything else that you noted about this chapter that you thought deserved calling out? I don't know specifically about the chapter, but just about you know the Iron Islanders in general, the Iron Men. You know their their sort of role in you know as are they Vikings, right? Are they supposed to reflect Vikings? You know, they, we we get this sense that the drowned god. We we get this. Uh, I'm sure we've heard of the drowned god before this in the books, mm-hmm. but I think we get a little more information here. He's 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 sort of this aquatic Odin. Who yeah, is <laughs> it's yeah because Odin hanged himself, right? Uh, but I noticed. I noticed something there about I don't remember if it was in this chapter or an earlier one where they talk, they the priest even uses this phrase the drowned god who drowned himself for us. Oh, interesting. Which is this very Christian kind of way of putting it. Well, right? and this is the culture that has the the kind of R-rated baptism, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. There is an interesting re- mixture of of um, sort of some Christian looking yeah, practices with. Um, with you know clear paganism. Well, right? yeah, and and this is um, a monotheistic religion, right? And uh, yeah, at least monotheistic in the sense that they might believe that other gods exist, but they're really devoted to sure, sure, god. sure, yeah. like monolatry or something. Yeah, but but yeah, but they they worship they worship a single god rather yeah. than multiple gods, and you got the the the, the baptism practice. And I didn't note. I have to look that up. So the it, it, there, you saw a phrase that said the ground the drowned god drowned himself for us. Yeah, I don't remember where I saw that, but it. But it, because it, that it sounds very Christian, right? Yes, it does to me at least. Yeah, at least. interesting. Because pagan gods don't typically do anything for you. <laughs> right? No, it's a very no, one way. Well, they, they might. Do, you hope that yeah. they don't kill you or take your woman, right? Yeah, or at least they, they, they don't do anything for free. <laughs> <laughs> so, a very you know very realistic view of uh, a very down to earth view of how things work. Sure, sure. So. Well, I will note finally that there is a mention of the oily black stone in this chapter. the The throne on Old Pike is made of this oily black stone, and they've shaped it into a, a you know a, a throne for their king. But it's it's said to exist before anything else on that island, and so those two things put together exist before anything else. So sort of prehistory, and the the reference to the stone being oily and black connects this to several other artifacts from prehistory in Martin's world. And mm-hmm. we see this in Ashai and Yin and the Isle of Toads. Um, maybe, maybe the base of Hightower. And my sense is that this is from sort of some sort of ancient or alien culture that is connected in some way to sort of the deep ones uh, out of Lovecraftian. Yeah, uh, there you do get into this sort of you know Cthulhu type. Yes. Or Cthulhu aspect of the drowned god, right? Or the kraken and whatnot. My sense is that that is going to become a huge plot line in Winds of Winter. That that's my sense uh-huh. anyway. Could be, could be. I think I, I, I always like this this idea that the the sea stone chair is is unpleasant to sit in. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's not really made for you, right? Right. And, uh, yeah. The, I think that's kind of an interesting aspect of that. Um, you know, the, the you know, he, there's a bit of you know, heavy is the head that holds. Is that how that saying goes? Heavy is the head that holds the crown. Yeah. Right? There's, it's not good to be king on the Iron Islands, not necessarily. Uh, yeah, but, uh, and you get someone's got to do it. Yeah. yeah, you get the sense that there's a number of cultures who are playing with ancient and dark powers that they don't quite understand. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get, I guess, I I think that Martin is very interested in sort of that kind of story. You know, that you you kind of, you know, Children of the Forest kind of understand the, the blood yeah. magic. They don't quite, or Melisandre kind of understands R'hllor religion, 
but doesn't quite have a, a full grasp on it. And the Targaryens, you know, have, have quote unquote tamed the dragons, but they not really. You yeah, know? I, I I get I get the sense with the Ironborn. It's yeah, you you kind of have built this mythology around this black chair. You don't quite know where it came from, and you so you don't quite know its true power. And I think there's a cer- certain uh, you know I think the the one aspect of the feeling he you know Martin is trying to evoke here is this sense of some you know I don't know 10th century Roman looking at at you know some of the, the ancient monuments, some aqueduct, and not mm. having mm-hmm. any clue how to, how this mm-hmm. ever got here. Right? Yeah, how were these uh, pyramids or, built? You know. Yes, exactly. Ancient aliens, it, maybe. It must have been the aliens, <laughs> right? Yeah, or or uh, you know the dragons or whatnot, uh-huh. right? So, yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of the feeling he's going for, though, in a more sort of as you said, uh, Lovecraftian kind of sense. Yeah, and I think that this plays uh, directly into an adjacent chapter here where. Craster is giving offerings to the the others. Uh, again, someone who's sort of created a ritual around yeah. uh, sort of a a godlike being that he doesn't quite understand. Yes, that's right. Uh, or or maybe he does. Maybe we don't. I, I I don't really know what to do with that yet because um, we don't really we haven't really seen much of the others uh, in these stories. Um, uh, interesting, really interesting chapter. I, I do feel like after reading it, I, I almost have a bit more sympathy for Theon than I did before. I think so. I mean, he is, I see, you know, I think any, anybody who's been a young man can see, you know, <laughs> like, oh, oh, I could have done that. <laughs> I could, I, I've, I've been that stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I, not, I, maybe not as aggressive as Theon, but yeah, we, we've yeah, all yeah. been stupid. <laughs> We've yeah, all, we've all been stupid in the past, right? And you yeah, feel bad for him, you know. He needs a mom, and oh, he's got Asha. Oh, he needs something. He needs. Yeah. He needs. He needs some kind of guide. He's yeah. He's completely adrift. This guy. And now, Throwback Thursday with comic Steve Osborne. Finally, we now know Balon Greyjoy, smaller army, but he's got ships. He's got ships too. And he's kind of a, an old, he's like an old son of a bitch or something. Yeah. Like something about the, the old man son of a bitch that, I don't know, just, he'll just scare you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's got There's something he, about Rob that's not quite scary, but the old, you know, Balon Greyjoy is just a scary, he's got the bald head on top and the long hair in the back. Yeah. That's very much like the, the, the villain in Poltergeist 2. It's like the medieval mullet. Yeah. Yeah. Just a guy that's like, no, let it grow. <laughs> that's how much I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the poltergeist too. <laughs> <laughs> so I want the phantasm. <laughs> 